Hi friends, Marty and I have gone off into the wilderness for a little summer break. And while we're gone, we want to offer you some of our favourite episodes of Bewildered ever. And here's one of them coming right up. We'll be back very soon. We love you. Welcome to Bewildered. I'm Martha Beck, here with Rowan Mangan. At this crazy moment in history, a lot of people are feeling bewildered. But that actually may be a sign we're on track. Human culture teaches us to come to consensus. But nature, our own true nature, helps us come to our senses. Rowan and I believe that the best way to figure it all out is by going through bewilderment into bewilderment. That's why we're here. For almost 30 years, I've been teaching people to do something that I call reading your internal compasses. I believe we are all born with direction-finding mechanisms that are inherent in us and will help us find our best destiny. Uh, A few years ago, though, I realized that a lot of people were getting very, very anxious. And this is true. Anxiety is going nuts all over the planet. So I spent five years researching and writing a book about how to read your compasses and lower the anxiety that's getting between you and your right life. And I'm very excited about the book. It's coming out in 2025, but I would love to teach you about it before the book comes out. So this summer, I'm doing a course called The Wayfinder's Compass, Moving Beyond Anxiety. And you can check it out by going to marthabeck.com slash compass. And we will have a fabulous time putting you on course for your North Star. Martha Beck. And I'm Rowan Mangan. And this is another episode of Bewildered, the podcast for people trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Rowie, yeah. Yeah. on this august occasion, mm-hmm. what is it you are trying to figure out in your life? Oh, Marty, so many things. Um, you know, ultimately, it's always child rearing for me at this moment in my life. It's like for me too, because I am rearing myself as a 50-something-year-old child. I'm just rearing up all the time on my <laughs> I'm hind legs. I'm just rearing at the child. <laughs> <laughs> I'm rearing in a childish way, like I go, <laughs> as ah, I rear up. It prepares them for life because when people rear up at them in future life, the baby will just know to go into a very tiny ball and mm-hmm. um, develop trauma responses. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, politeness markers, man. Mm. They're hard to teach. Politeness markers? Mm. Is that like magic markers? Yes, very much so, except they're invisible, except to your child who suddenly magically will say please and thank you, which um, is, well, I won't bore you with the long articles (laughs) I've been reading. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I knew we were heading that way. All right, so anyway, here's what happened. Our daughter, Lila, who's fast approaching the two years old mark, she has an irrepressible spirit. Mm. And I love this about her. God knows I've tried to repress it. Yeah. Not working. Me too. Constantly. Uh, And there's just so many moments where I don't know, should I repress the spirit for the sake (laughs) of culture or should I let the nature flow? You know, I mean, maybe we should listen to our own podcast, but this is what (laughs) happened. And it makes me really happy. There's not really a point. I'm just going to tell the story. So Lila wanted to go outside, out the back door. She was at the back door and she was saying, outside, outside, outside. And then I looked over at her and I said, what's the magic word? Because this is what you're supposed to do. And 
she turned around to me and she flung her little chubby hands up into the air and said, Lila. The magic <laughs> word was Lila. Isn't oh, that wonderful? That's very sweet. It's just wonderful. It's really cute. Yeah. So then that night we were trying to figure out as parents what part of her diet might be exacerbating her eczema because our lives are so cool. Just so cool and interesting. But Yeah, I mean, we think about eczema endlessly. You would wish to be there. Oh, my gosh. People people are going to be jealous. I'm sorry to make you jealous about this. But anyway, so th- this is just a sort of moment of parenting with Martha Beck, co-parenting with Martha Beck, a radio series. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm so, asleep already. <laughs> so... Karen and I were both quite, you know, chatty about this. Is it the dairy or is it the peanut butter? Those are two things that we've increased recently alongside the eczema getting worse. Da-da-da, could it be this? Could it be that? Meanwhile, Marty is staring at her phone very intently Mm. and we had sort of come to a decision and I said, Marty, and there was no... (laughs) (laughs) That's the magic word. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, did you hear what what we were talking about? And without looking up from her phone, this is what Marty said. I will not be giving her peanut butter, but I will be sending you a photo of one of the rarest animals on earth. (laughs) And that is what it's like to co-parent with Marty Beck. It's a melanistic fox. I had to show you a picture of a melanistic fox. Think of if she could go her whole life covered with eczema and not knowing about the melanistic fox. And now I'm doing I'm doing two good deeds, refraining from the peanut butter and showing the melanist. Everybody go Google melanistic fox. You will not regret it. Marty was like, if you're going to talk about that, I really need to make sure I tell them what the name of it is because they're going to be really interested and I have to let them Google it. It's true. And by the way, the no peanut butter pact took a lot because when she when she does say please, oh my gosh, mm. I am just so manipulable. Mm-hmm. She can go, peanut butter! And I'll be like, no, it's bad for you. And then she's like, please, peanut butter, please buy. She calls me buy for reasons we don't know. And I'm like, how do you refrain? How do you just say no, no, and I won't even show you a melanistic fox? Be gone. They don't teach you what to do when they are nice to you and polite to you about yes. something they can't have. And that it's like a flaw in the teaching. Yeah. Please, explosives. <laughs> Please. Please, crystal meth, buddy. <laughs> All right, for goodness okay, sake, okay. Marty, tell me what you're trying to figure out. And if it is melanistic foxes, I tell you what, we'll be having words. I wish. I <laughs> wish. No, it is ordinary squirrels. <laughs> of course it is. Ordinary squirrels. So they we've had this battle going with my bird feeder because, as you know, squirrels love bird feeders and they will eat everything. And people don't like that. So they um, they sell squirrel-proof bird feeders, which mm. is a hilarious squirrel joke. <laughs> there is no such thing. And I thought that some of them were getting a little uppity and they they also look different from each other. I thought, what is happening? Some this... sort of feud. Yes. So I just looked it up while I saw two of them sitting together and I found out there are gray squirrels, which are 
um, indigenous to this area and they're sort of mellow. And then there are red squirrels and they're tiny and they come from England. They're colonists. We're all colonists, but the red squirrels are colonists. The gray squirrels, not so much. And here's the deal. Mm -hmm. Gray squirrels are ordinary humans. No, they're not humans. They're ordinary beings. But according to my Googling, red squirrels are, and I quote, six ounces of pure evil. They are. Do you know what's interesting about this? What? The grace, so the red squirrels came from England mm -hmm. and they're several ounces. No one knows what that means, but whatever. <laughs> um, there's some sort of random measurement of pure evil. And and that, so that's the British red squirrels here. Yeah. But do you know what else I happen to know? What? The grey squirrels. They went to England and guess what they are? They are the evil ones <gasps> over there. Over there, the red squirrels are all Beatrix Potter and nice. It must be the sea voyage. It must turn them evil. Maybe it's like just that colonial instinct, like all those those ones that decide. No, I, I actually, it just pinged for me because what? I was looking up what to do about these six ounces of pure evil. It's alarming to go out there and confront six ounces of pure evil or 100 grams or 900 <laughs> kilos or whatever it is. Anyway, I looked it up online. How do you get the red squirrels to stop? scaring you and eating things and it said there's a whole thing called and i love this phrase humane squirrel exclusion <laughs> i know right you exclude them but humanely it's like we don't like you here but other people like you it's it kind of goes against everything that we stand for in, tr in terms of trying to include all these, you know, the rainbow nationalists, let's include everybody. No, you exclude red squirrels. And what if gray squirrels arrived in, in England, like, we're here, the Yankees are here. And the Brits are like, we're angry because you called, you broke off from us and then didn't help us in World War II until it was a very, very last minute thing. <laughs> we will exclude you. And the gray squirrels were like, well, that just cuts it. I came over here. Now I hate you and I will be evil. Yeah. And over here, mm. the red squirrels arrived on ships. Mm. And we're like, that's not a gray squirrel. And they said, well, bloody hell, we're going to hate you forever. And they became angry because they were excluded here. It's all because of exclusion. It makes them evil. Maybe they just weren't doing it humanely enough. Oh, that's true. Did they know that they weren't supposed to be humane? They're not human. How could they be humane? I they, think you can be humane without necessarily being no, human. No, you have to be squirrel. Squirrel. Human, squirrel. humane. Squirrel. 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 That's a, that's a very Australian way of pronouncing it, but that sounds classy to me. Thank you. So it's very squirrel. We're going to have squirrel exclusion. None of the squirrels ever went to Australia, by the way, and if they did, we killed them. They died. But well, they not were killed humanely. by spiders, which <laughs> who now wear their pelts because that's the size <laughs> spiders are in Australia. Which there's another. I do have to say this one other thing that happened while I was out trying to exclude the squirrels. <laughs> I noticed that we have this screen porch, like where you can sit. You and... just noticed that we've been living here for four years. <laughs> I actually did just notice it. <laughs> I went into it to get more bird seed and I realized that there was a lot of spider activity in there. Oh yeah. Yeah. Little webs in all the corners. And I thought, okay, I'll just get a broom and be done with this. Exclude so I went around them. and I thought it was just cobwebs, right? No, it was inhabited. There was a, 
Dude, what a, did you think? I just thought they make a web. They're like, well, that was that that looks crappy. I'm going off to make another web somewhere else. So but you were no. judging their webs, even as you were excluding them not you know, humanely. I wasn't being spider. spider it's like humane only spider anyway i got my broom i started brushing the cobwebs and i noticed that they were like oh this is so gross there was egg sacs in the cobwebs like they were they were planning a whole marty that is the miracle of life don't insult it that is beautiful (sighs) and when it's a spider somehow it's just less a lot less beautiful. So I am quite creeped out by spiders. And I, so I was like, okay, I'm going to take these. I'm going to put all these webs and eggs and stuff in the bushes. I'm not going to destroy them. I'm going to take them on my broom and go put them in the bushes. <laughs> so I went at this, the biggest web and I was doing this and it was like, ugh, little spiders running around. And then I came to the biggest one and this I started poking me. at it with the broom. Yeah. I know. Right. And I got the cobwebs and it exposed the spider and I, took the cobweb away. And then I'm like creeped out. But then I looked at the spider and I swear to God, she looked depressed, like dispirited. That was the word that came into my mind. I saw this spider watching me take her web away. And I felt that she was really deeply dispirited. She was like, I am going to have to lay so many more eggs. I know. So now I'm freaked out. I got spider eggs on my broom. There's a large hairy spider looking at me in a dispirited way. And I am feeling empathy for her. And at the same time, revulsion. And I was in such a high state of anxiety. And at that that moment. (laughs) No kidding. The fire alarm went off in our house. The smoke detector went off. And and can I pick up the story from my, so then I'm inside the house. I'm unaware of the whole tragic spider. Dispirited. The dispirited spider debacle that has been going on with Marty. I'm blissfully ignorant. But then the, the fire alarm, the smoke alarm goes off. And the first thing I'm like is, we need a broom. We just need a broom. We just need to turn it off. There's no fire. It's fine. Karen, of course, was running around the house looking for the fire. fire I was fire! looking. I was looking for the broom. So, I, I, I'm. I, I look for the broom. I look for the broom, and then Marty says, "I have the broom," and I'm like, "Great, can I have it?" Because it's really loud. It was my only line of defense against that massive spider, and you came and took it. So she. She comes over to me and as I'm about to grab this, and remember, I am from Australia. Like, it's not spiders mean something over there, okay? (laughs) And I'm just about to save the day with the broom, with the smoke detector. And Marty says, oh, by the way, there might be a few spiders on that broom. (gasps) Ah, sorry? (laughs) I just put some spiders and some spider eggs on there. So enjoy. God. Using it as an extension of your own arm. And Marty thinks her own anxiety about the spider incident is what set off the smoke detector, by the way. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, I hit that same weep, weep, weep. That's exactly what I was feeling inside. And then my environment reflected that. Yeah. Yeah. And and Karen is running around, fire, fire. And then (laughs) Roe pokes the fire alarm, the smoke alarm with a broom, and it stops. And Karen, like, goes from full careen around the house, like a pinball, ring, rah, fire. Suddenly she just stops, calmed by the lack of the distressing sound. She's the idea that there could be a fire was gone as soon as the ear trigger was gone. 
And that leads me to my Karenism. Oh, yeah, we've got a Karenism this week. Yeah, this was so funny. So Ro got a horrible bout of chronic fatigue syndrome. I think we've mentioned this. And she's had COVID and it was way worse than... Uh, I don't think we did mention it, but there was an episode where I didn't smile or laugh and it turned out later that it was like, oh, right, because I wasn't well. It was called Cave Early and she was dragging herself (laughs) to her chair like and saying into the microphone, don't ever keep going when you're tired. <laughs> like a dispirited spider. Podcaster, oh, podcast thyself. Anyway, it was post-COVID, it was much worse and it was yeah. quite scary. Yeah, and, and she really can't move much at all. Um, it's like no oxygen is getting to the, the cells. It's a, it's a very scary condition. So she came out of it later. Especially than when there's like fires and spiders around. Yeah. So this was after like five days of being laid low and she finally made it to the dinner table and we're all sitting there. Adam is there. Lila's there. It's a very thing for us, dinner. Mm. And Ro just said, well, I'm just so grateful to be sitting up. And I just want you to know that when I could do absolutely nothing, the only thing that matters to me really are the people around this table. And I just want to mm-hmm. say how much I love you and how mm-hmm. grateful I am for you taking care of me when I was sick. And I was speaking from my soul. From her soul. And Karen looks at her in an equally intense way and says in the same tone, a Dane won the Tour de France. <laughs> <laughs> A Dane won the Tour de France. The thing about Karen's pivots is that <laughs> she doesn't adjust because when you completely change the subject, you need to you need to change your tone of voice yeah, to, or at least to say, demonstrate that. Huh. Yeah, or like something. But what she does is she completely changes changes the subject, but she she uses the like the the continuation of the tone of voice, so it's always very baffling. It's very baffling. Yeah, yeah, but. It, she she was right as as she would say if she was here she would probably say well a Dane, Dane actually won the Tour de France yeah and I guess that's what's most important to her in the world we'll be right back with more bewildered I have a favor to ask you might not know this but ratings and reviews are like gold in the podcasting universe. They get podcasts in front of more faces, more eyes, more ears, all the bits that you could have a podcast in front of. That's what they do. So it would help us enormously if you would consider going over to your favorite podcasting app, especially if it's Apple, and giving us a few stars, maybe even five, maybe even six. If you can find a way to hack the system, I wouldn't complain. And um, a review would also be wonderful. We read them all and love them. So thank you very much in advance. Let's just go out there and bewilder the world. For almost 30 years, I've been teaching people to do something that I call reading your internal compasses. I believe we are all born with direction-finding mechanisms that are inherent in us and will help us find our best destiny. Uh, A few years ago, though, I realized that a lot of people were getting very, very anxious. And this is true. Anxiety is going nuts all over the planet. 
So I spent five years researching and writing a book about how to read your compasses and lower the anxiety that's getting between you and your right life. And I'm very excited about the book. It's coming out in 2025, but I would love to teach you about it before the book comes out. So this summer, I'm doing a course called The Wayfinder's Compass, Moving Beyond Anxiety. And you can check it out by going to marthabeck.com slash compass, and we will have a fabulous time putting you on course for your North Star. Marty, I think that we haven't at all gone on for a long time about our lives. No, no, no. I think not at all. Hours more. Honest to goodness, let's get to the topic. All right. We've got to be wild files today because we are just more and more excited to hear from you all all the time. So please look in the show notes if you want to know how to contribute to be wild files. Tell us what you are trying to figure out. And today's wonderful listener is Stevie from Galway. Can I just say, Stevie, Christmas season, 2003, busking on Shop Street in the freezing cold. It was a great time and I love the Rasheen dub. It's my favourite pub in Ireland. Just to okay. clarify, Ro was the one busking, not Stevie. Stevie was there. Stevie was there in spirit. Yeah. Yeah. She was probably the one across the way. She's like competing for my fighting with a huge gray squirrel somewhere in Upper Ireland. Upper Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> She's in like Lefton Island. In the hills. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Stevie, what are you trying to figure out? Let's hear it. Hi, Rowan and Martha. So what I'm trying to figure out is how to move past decision paralysis. I'm kind of overwhelmed by the amount of opportunities or options in front of me even. Um with career change I've been out of work for a little while and I'm really feeling the pressure to make the right choice uh, at this stage for financial reasons and other reasons I've tried to listen to my intuition but I just feel pulled in so many different directions and it's so noisy meanwhile I'm not doing anything which is crazy please help I love you Stevie Stevie we feel you so much yeah Isn't that funny? It is so noisy when you're being pulled. I feel like that's such a great way of putting it. It's so Mm -hmm. noisy to be pulled and pulled. And I just want to say right off the bat, I bet you're not doing nothing while Mm -hmm. you, you said, you know, you're doing nothing, which is crazy. And I bet you're not. I just Mm -hmm. think that maybe your enculturated brain thinks, but I don't want to get ahead of it. So we'll just, we'll press on. We'll get there. It's interesting that one of the ways that English gets um, sort of parochialized is that when you say you're not doing nothing, double negative, when you say, I'm not doing nothing, it's kind of a hillbilly way of saying saying you really are are doing doing nothing. So we think you are doing something. We don't believe that you are doing nothing. You're not doing nothing. You're not doing nothing. Have some moonshine. <laughs> I think I heard that on the Sopranos. You're not doing nothing. Oh, I'm in the wrong. I'm in the wrong, like subculture. Then, yeah, but I think like the hillbilly culture and the mafia culture share so much, such mm-hmm. a rich cultural overlap. Overlap. Yeah, yeah we should. Big we should ben talk Diver. about that for a really long time. Yeah, I think we should. <laughs> okay, so like, what does culture uh, say? Yeah, about. About making the right choice. Mm. I think the culture very strongly believes that this is something that you must do. Yeah. 
And this is something that you must not mess up. Right. Do you agree with this, Marty? I do. And it's so stupid. How do we even know? How can you possibly know what the right choice is going to be ahead of time? It's like, it's a very poor, um, there's no way to know I'm getting ahead of myself. It's almost like what you're supposed to do with the culture is, is just be like, whatever you do, be really, really sure. And and maybe where Steve is breaking the like cultural covenant or whatever is that she's saying, I don't know. I'm not sure. Uh, Yeah. And that right there is a difficulty for people. So many clients I've said, okay, you're you're not doing nothing. You're in a place. You're not doing nothing. You're not doing nothing. You're in a place of decision or you're in a place where you don't have enough information or whatever it is. So it's fine to not know and not make a choice, but you have to have a cultural cover story because everyone wants you to tell them what the decision is and make sure it's right. Yeah. Yeah. The cultural cover story is a very powerful little incantation. (laughs) And there, and we genuinely believe as a culture that there is a right solution, a right decision to be made in any situation. Yeah. Stevie also sent us like a little email with her recorded question. She was sort of saying, what if I'm like, I want to do this kind of biology and then I want to do architecture and this, you know, and she did, she pointed out like, this is a very privileged position to be in for Mm. sure, but it doesn't make it less scary. And like, if you're operating under the like idea that, I will have wasted my life if I get this wrong. And there's no, um, you have to get it right, but there's no structure in which you can understand what's right right or wrong. So you are told, okay, there is a right answer and you have to get it right. And you have to get it right ahead of time. And ha ha, nobody knows what that is. So go, but, but you have to prove to everyone that it, that you've done it. And I think what, people default to honestly I don't I mean I don't know if this is true but I think in in that situation what you default to is well I can count money yeah I can't actually count right or wrong but I can count money or joy and misery Mm -hmm. and she actually said I'm really conflicted about my choices because of money and 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 Mm. that is that is we talk about it almost every time because it is the way to know it's a right choice if you want people to leave you alone you say i'm making money here money is the culture's version of points yeah and if you're getting if you're amassing points then you're winning yeah and if you have a ton of points when you die you have one life yeah and it doesn't matter if you're miserable and it's in that you don't explore anything. I mean, so, I'm so wanting to get to come to your senses. It's hard for me to even <laughs> slow down and talk about the way the culture goes at this because it just seems so wrong. You know, the, 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 the assumptions are that the decision has to, it has to be right. It has to be logical. Um, if you're not doing it, you're wasting your life and waiting to make a decision is also wasting your life. What? That is just a recipe for a panic attack. Also, doing something with your life is that's job. That's a job. Like that's part of your life, but that's not the actual substance of your life. Mm. Right? It's funny because when you said doing something with your life, I wasn't thinking of a job. When you said doing something with your life, I was thinking of like frolicking through the woods and stuff. Right, but that's what I'm saying right. is that for for Stevie and the way she set it up, it was about looking 
at different career options. I know. And yeah, well. The whole thing is frankly so far removed from the way I think now. Mm-hmm. And I think from the way I've ever thought really that it's describing the culture's messages. It, 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 it's almost unbelievable to me. It's, it feels so absurd. It is observably ab- absurd. It's logically absurd. It's absurd from every angle. And yet people believe it. People are told they have to do it. And they get punished and shamed for not doing it the culture's way. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I, I don't have too much of this kind of anxiety around decisions anymore and that mm-hmm. and the the sort of paralysis feeling that that Stevie described but I know that I did used to have it a lot more when I was younger mm-hmm. and I remember when I was actually I was living in Ireland I was in my oh. early 20s and I had I had a chronic fatigue flare up mm-hmm. and I'd been waitressing and I couldn't waitress anymore and I didn't no, I'd sort of had this idea that I was moving to Ireland to hang out with Stevie. It was going to be the two of us on Shop Aww. Street at Christmas, busking with the squirrel. <laughs> and um, and I called my mum. I went to a um, internet cafe call shop place where you could mm. make international calls. And um, I called her, and I was like, I just don't know how to make the decision. And one of the wisest things my wonderful mother has ever said to me is, she said, "Oh, don't worry, decisions make themselves." Mm. And I was like, "Holy effing f!" That's a real. That's a mic drop there, right? And and because we take out the time as a variable, right? Mm-hmm. Is that? And as soon as I made it not my responsibility to yeah. make the decision yeah. and took all that pressure off myself, it was much easier to see what was going on wow. and what I needed to do. And it's like, oh, it's like what we were talking about, you know, with when you make something artistic and you put it out in the world mm-hmm. and you were telling me, stop making it about you. Let it be the thing. Let yeah. it be its own thing on its own journey. Yeah. And it's sort of like the decision. That's how I felt when I was trying to decide whether to move back to Australia. The decision ultimately did make itself. She was absolutely right. I love that. And it reminds me of Byron Katie, one of my favorite spiritual teachers who once said, cause she's always watching her mind at work. And she said, I don't, I don't make up my mind. I wait and my mind makes itself up. Ha, huh, right. So if, if, if you don't know yet what to do, what it means is the decision hasn't been made yet. Right. By yeah. whatever. By, by the, the force. Yeah. yeah. By whatever it is. I love what you were just saying about making um, the object that you're, putting into the world have its own personality so like I want to go into that a little bit so like I have this little company that I swear to god made itself Mm. about 20 years ago I was working for other people you know I was getting a little um I was getting my little paycheck for going to their institute and teach people and um and then one of the students said why are you doing it that way when you could have your own business and I was like, well, I don't know how to do business. And she said, no, no, no. And she sketched something on a, nap- a napkin. And I was like, oh, that wants to be. That actually wants to be. So I set it up. You know, I bought a little website template for 150 bucks. And it just wanted to be. Mm. And that, it still just wants to be. I like, I never did that on purpose. Yeah. In fact, my whole life coaching gig, that was a complete, that did itself. Yeah. So will the company make enough for us? How about 
the company is just going to do, it has a mind of its own. And every now and then it wants me to come feed it something or give it a little push, mm-hmm. but it has its own personality. And I can think of it as like a sweet little Lila type personality. Mm. <laughs> little toddler. Yeah. So if you write a book, if you put music out there, it's the song that wants to be sung. Yeah. And you do you ever do that thing where you have to like forensically or retroactively uh, look at why, look back at times where you're like, why won't stuff work out? And I know mm-hmm. this isn't the same as, as making related. the right choice, but, and then when the thing pops up, you realize, oh, that's why I had all this time of being uncertain or still as, as right. Stevie said, because at that time, the thing that you needed to do, the next thing wasn't available yet. There were other things going on in yeah. the whole machine that made it impossible for that to happen yet. And there is a time to be indeterminate. There's a time to be Schrodinger's cat, right? Like everything, like, so um, <laughs> I'm blanking on her name, Stevie. Stevie has Schrodinger's job. <laughs> yeah, Schrodinger's career. <clears throat> yeah, we don't know if it's, we don't know if it's right or wrong. It's in an indeterminate state. So we always think things have to be either right or wrong, but they can be indeterminate. And most things are for long, long periods. We had an episode recently that we called a space for dreaming, where we mm. talked about this exact time. We should, you should listen to it, Steve. It was brilliant. <laughs> yeah. The unformed state, the amorphous yeah. state, that kind of is the mystery. And that's where you can, um, in, in ancient traditions, like um, European magical traditions, the threshold of a cottage or a building was considered magical because it's a liminal. Limit mm. actually mean, means threshold. When you're on the threshold, you're not in or out. You're in between. Mm. So there are these liminal periods, like when you're pregnant, you're not like when you had your first baby, you're not a parent yet exactly when you're three months pregnant, but you're not not a parent. When you're engaged, you're not married, but you're not not married, single mm. and dating. So in a liminal space, you're nobody nowhere. And those are the, that's where they would do the magic. Because when you're nobody nowhere, you can become anything anywhere. And I feel like maybe that exact sensation is instead of opening Stevie up, she's experiencing it as, as that very opportunity of that moment is what's shutting her down Mm, yeah she's saying there's too much I could be anything anybody anywhere so I'm scared I don't know what I need to be so this is the time when people go groping for um guidelines to tell them what they should be should do right and this is where I really truly believe no one but you can make the determination and you may not get it might, it might not come up very quickly. The only thing you can do is start moving toward whatever feels like relief, like uh, enjoyment, like peace. Now, people try to make an exciting decision, but when you're in a liminal space, the shifts that take place are really, really small. Mm. So you actually feel them very deeply internally. And they're little tiny things like, do I, it's like the beginning of Eat, Pray, Love, where she's on the floor trying to ask, she prays to, to know, how do I get out of this marriage? I don't want to be married. Big, huge life decision. What should I do? And when she gets an answer, the answer is, go back to bed, Liz. And that's how you get your guidance in those liminal places. You, they're tiny acts of self-compassion that put you in a place where you can stand being liminal and come out in the right 
arena to do something wonderful with your life. It's just this little subtle compassion. So we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about coming to your senses around making the right choice. Hello, the lovely peoples. This is Marty, Martha, inviting you to a free masterclass that I have made called Five Paths to Your Purpose. Probably the most common question I get from people is, how do I find my purpose? Why don't I feel that I'm on purpose? Well, it turns out there are certain things you have to do to find your purpose. And I broke them down into five and I made a little masterclass about it. So if you'd like to see it, just go to marthabeck.com slash purpose and you will be able to watch it without any charge at all. So coming to our senses when it's about making the right choice, man, it's this is a good question. That's a very good question. It's a sticky wicket. It is. It is. And I just keep thinking about the time factor. Like I'm wasting my life. I'm I'm sitting still uh, in all this noise about all the different possibilities. And I just keep thinking like what comes to me is life is long. Mm-hmm. This is a short period of time. Like what's the... What's the rush, Stevie? That's my that's my initial mm. sort of thing in terms of coming to our senses is just like let's come to our senses around time. Let's just take a few deep breaths and go, all right, it's okay. There's, there's no rush. It's so funny because people sometimes tell me that I have done a lot of things and that I must be very busy. And I am busy, but I'm watching videos of otters playing with rocks. You're not doing nothing. I'm not doing nothing. But the thing is, most of my adult life has been sent, spent lying down trying to get enough energy to do something. I, I mean, I am, I am not a robust or energetic human being. And, and yet, creeping along yeah. toward the things that made me happy, the things that I have put out in the world, it's like, it's interesting because I think people feel that they're, they're important to me. And if I, had I been, do feel that if I'd been going to like, you know, a donut factory and making donuts all the time, it would be a, a worthy, worthy way to spend a life. But I would just look back and think, oh, donuts. And nobody would say, wow, you've made so many donuts. <laughs> but because I did what I loved, even if it's very amorphous, wow, you went to Africa and tried to like help people heal the, the wilderness. That's hard to quantify too. But People tell me I've done stuff, but I haven't done very much stuff. I wait most of the time. I just hang out going, what's the rush? Oh, good. I used to think there was a rush. I was very anxious, but I couldn't move forward. So I didn't rush. Yeah. Like there's a lot of life that we spend where it doesn't look like a lot's going on on the outside. In fact, can I tell you, I was, I was, I'm so grateful I got to go to Asia and live there when I was fairly young for a little while, because if you said to someone in America, uh, what have you done for the last 12 years? And they said, um, nothing. You would say, "Uh, oh, so what's wrong? Like it would be a very embarrassing moment. But one of the most revered people in in Buddhism in the last several decades is a woman who went into a cave and just sat there for 12 years, you know, just getting still. And in Asia, she was like, amazing. Everyone was so, like, you're not doing nothing? She's like, I'm not doing nothing. I'm not doing nothing for 12 years. I'm doing nothing. And 
like people would tell that story like can you believe how much she's made of her life it's amazing she's huh. so advanced and it's true i know this because life has forced me to sit still nature has forced me to sit still mm. and what i've found is that until you're in the stillness of your soul or of your being you actually can't feel or record anything that's happening to you like there's this quote by hl mencken that i love called uh, called it goes uh we think about sex constantly except during the act when our minds tend to wander <laughs> and that's the thing if you're not completely still and present the experience you're having doesn't land so to hmm. me i think if i don't have any stillness if i'm too actively trying to decide to do things i'm missing my life i'm wasting my life mm, that's a really good point yeah those still liminal times are it man when we did a we made a writing course a number of years ago yeah and we talked about like we invented this kind of process um that we talked about in terms of the inhale and the exhale That's right, yeah. but wasn't there like a thing that we did between the inhale and the exhale there's a pause the pause yeah like and and there was something I can't remember I'm so sorry I can't remember exactly how we did it but there was something for them to do between the stage of writing we called the inhale and the stage of writing we called the exhale, which right. is that liminal moment, right? Yeah. And if we just like spread out the timeline a bit um, of life, then what Stevie's doing is just pausing between an inhale and an exhale. Yeah. And it's in that pause. I mean, what to do in that moment, you could, you, it's a moment of no self. So if you're breathing, oh. if you're meditating you breathe in, you breathe out and you, if you're just tracking your breath, breathing in, breathing out, and then it stops sometimes. If you're not forcing it, you'll just, you'll breathe out and then it just won't breathe in for like 30 seconds, a minute. And you're watching your body and nature's taking care of it. And it's not breathing at the moment. And, and it's so still. And I don't remember what we told them to do at that moment, but I think it's just about um, experience. I'm not coming up with any good methodology on this because it's actually not verbal. You yeah. go into a space that's no self, not verbal, not, not matter, and yet everything is present and everything is brimming with life and brimming with possibility. And it's a moment of absolute awe. Yes. And nothing. You're not even breathing. And that's when you finally get to this experience that you've kind of been looking for your whole life. Oh and you didn't God. even know you were looking until you had it. Oh, my God. And I mean, I just, maybe that's what the universe is trying to give to Stevie. I, I believe it is. And I just came up with the best cultural cover story. Oh, good. Do you want to hear it? Yes, yes, yes. It's one word. Sabbatical. <gasps> I was going to say, there was a time when, oh, you're, you are trigger, triggering my memory, girl, because there was a time <laughs> when I, I told everybody I was going to a writing, I was going to retreat. I was going to have my writing retreat, it, but it was a word like sabbatical. It was sequestered. I'm sequestered. Oh, nice. I'm sequestered. And that's, that, you're on the threshold. Just, uh, you know, Stevie, say, when people ask, when your mother asks you, so what have you decided to do with your career? You just say, oh, sequester. Can I also just add that if it was retreat, that you could make that into a way where you're not telling a lie at all? Because if I said I'm retreating, what I would mean was I had a treat this morning and this <laughs> afternoon. I'm going to retreat myself. I'm going to retreat. That not is retweet. a good way to look at it. <laughs> 
retreat. Could I be unbearable and talk about the brain for just a second? Oh, right. Okay. Whenever we make this sort of joke where she tries to be nerdy and I pretend not to, like, be into it, I get a lot of letters going, you must stop being so mean to Martha. We <laughs> love it when she's a nerd. And I'm like, so do I, you morons. I married her. <laughs> so uh, thank you for that. Thank you for marrying me. <laughs> You're so welcome. Um, I just, it's, it's very interesting. I, I just wrote this book proposal where I said, you know, the first 30 years of my life, I was anxious all the time. And I was like, I, I wrote in the book, I was always, always, always anxious. I was, but then I went to a chapter summary that I was writing later. And I said, you know, I was bringing myself, I was, um, modulating my, I was bringing myself back into homeostasis, regulating my emotions. That's the word I was looking for by doing things like drawing 10 hours a day, trying to teach myself to play the piano. And I was horrible at it, but I would do it six hours a day. I would spend hours creeping up on a bird nest to see how close I could get. I mean, I just, I spent enormous amounts of time doing things that lit up the right side of my brain. And yes, the whole brain is involved in everything, but there are differences between the hemispheres. And I wrote about how I'd done this for hours and hours so because I wasn't anxious when I was doing them. And then I realized that I had just written, I was always anxious. Ah. And that's how I'd remembered it. But you know why? The part that remembers it doesn't count the other because the right hemisphere doesn't measure time and doesn't speak in language. And it doesn't like offer you a prize and say, this is what you won. It doesn't care about money. It doesn't even care about points. It cares about what you're doing in the moment. Mm. So I, I had this weird thing where huge swathes of my life were in stillness, not doing anything. And they were invisible. They had become to invisible to my linguistic cultural mind where right. I was saying, no, I actually, every single moment I was scared because I was only counting the things that scared me. But it's the stuff that I, I did when I was timeless and not thinking and in awe. Those are the things that became my career. Oh, I love this. I love this. And actually, when we were talking about this, you said, yeah, I have, I've had decision. Um, you know, I've had difficulty making choices about this and that. And I was like, I don't remember ever doing that ever. Mm. And I think it's just because I have my massive ADD. And I had a very free childhood. And so I just wandered around doing whatever I damn well wanted and realizing that you can't make a wrong choice because there are infinite choices all the time. And if you get the result you're looking for, you could count that as a success with the left side of your brain. But if you're not, if you're just constantly experimenting, that's the joy of life. That's experiencing your life. Hmm. And it teaches you things. And then people would come to me and say, ooh, teach me what you're doing. And I'd be like, Oh, okay. Do this writing course where you go to the place where you're not breathing and pause there. And then later you write something. And I, I don't know, it, it makes, it's made a career. And it's the stillness that makes the movement. And without the stillness, you won't have the movement. And Stevie, it is so sacred what yeah. you're doing. Yeah, still point of the turning world. Yeah, and just know that all that noise that's around you, you said it's so noisy feeling all these possibilities, that's that's music and it doesn't actually touch you. It's just happening around you. It's not yeah. happening inside you. It really is. The, anything that is noise, ignore it. 
Yeah. And what isn't noise? Like what is what is present when the noise is gone? The stillness. That is when you are actually living your life. And that's what uh, T.S. Eliot meant. He, he also said still and still moving. So you become the still point of the turning world and then you move toward whatever it is that brings you joy, but you're, you're still inside. So the darkness shall be the light and the, and stillness, the stillness, the, the dancing. dancing. So when the dancer becomes the dance, there's motion and there's stillness complete. And that's when it becomes a holy act. I think what we're trying to say is that you are doing it right. Yes. Not just Stevie, but everyone. Everyone. Did you make a choice? Great. Beautiful. You're winning. Can can you not make a choice? Great. <laughs> Dive in. Be still. Be unformed. Mm. Um, you know, did you make a choice and it turned out to look wrong? Wonderful. You're learning. My God, you probably would never have learned that in a million years if you hadn't made that perfect choice. There's no such thing as wrong in nature that that doesn't make sense. Well, there is. There are red squirrels. Oh, God. Yeah. Six ounces. I was going to say evil. those gray squirrels are so evil. And there are very disaffected spiders. I mean, it's not as if there's not that stuff to be done. I but think that what we really need to take from this is just a maxim for life. Yeah, I don't know, something short and punchy, like... Uh, stay stay wild. wild! We hope you're enjoying Bewildered. If you're in the USA and want to be notified when a new episode comes out, text the word WILD to 570-873-0144. We're also on Instagram. Our handle is Bewildered Podcast. You can follow us to get updates, hear funny snippets and outtakes, and chat with other fans of the show. Bewildered is produced by Scott Forster with support from the brilliant team at MBI. And remember, if you're having fun, please rate and review and stay wild. You know, what I'm seeing out in the world is a lot of fear and a growing amount of despair. Maybe you're feeling that way too, because the ways our culture has taught us to navigate the world, to navigate our lives, they are failing us. We need a new language. We need a new set of tools to find our way individually and as a group. And I know we can still do this. I put everything I do know about it into Wayfinder Life Coach Training. And the tools that I teach there are to help people redefine how we relate to each other, how we make a living, how we do community. We can only change the world for the better if we redefine how we think and the world needs Wayfinders now more than ever. So please go to MarthaBeck.com and you'll find your way. <laughs>